Welcome to another episode of NBRI New Business and Retail Insights from the Center for Retailing Studies, Mace Business School, Texas A&M University. I'm your host, Venki Shankar, Director of Research and Coleman Chair Professor of Marketing. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Dr. Hari Kesh Nair, the Jonathan B. Lovelace Professor of Marketing at Stanford Graduate Business School. His research brings together social science theory, statistical tools, marketing data, to better understand consumer behavior and to improve the strategic marketing decisions of firms. Nair was previously chief business strategy scientist at JD.com. In this role, he focused on using marketing science and applied econometrics to derive growth for JD, leveraging the large data assets and the AI-driven technology platform of JD. Harikesh's research has been published in leading marketing journals, such as the Journal of Marketing Research, Management Science, Marketing Science, and has been written up in popular press outlets such as CNBC, Economist, Financial Times, The Wall Street Journal, and so on. Uh, Harikesh's research has also been recognized with awards from the QME, or the Quantitative Marketing and Economics Journal, the American Marketing Association Foundation, the Swiss Academy of Marketing Science, and the U.S. Council uh, for university transportation centers. Uh, in fact, Harikesh was also recognized as one of the most outstanding business school profs under 40 uh, by poets and quants. Uh, Harikesh has a PhD in marketing from the University of Chicago. Thank you, Harikesh, for joining me in this conversation today. How have you been uh, in the last several months? I've been okay, uh, Wenki, and uh, up front, let me thank you for that very gracious uh, uh, introduction. Uh, thank you. And uh, I, I think we're just hanging in the air, uh, doing the best we can uh, uh, during this very complex time, uh, once in uh, a, a century event for us uh, uh, as a society. I think my wife and my seven-year-old daughter and I, we, 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 are, we, are, we are doing the Best you can um, to keep safe, right? Sheltering and place thing in Palo Alto, yeah. That's good to know. But, you know, I described you as per your record or your achievements. How would you like to describe yourself, maybe in five words or five phrases or less? Um, I think uh, I'm focused on learning, uh, curious, scientific, and uh, interested in marketing. So that would be uh, some uh, quick, uh, quick descriptors, yeah. Excellent. Okay, that uh, really describes you well because knowing you and your passion for marketing and uh, uh, research. Uh, tell us something about your research journey so far. I know that ever since your PhD in uh, University of Chicago in 2005, how have you traveled and, you know, tell us a little bit about your, your research journey. Yeah, so I'm... Um, uh interested in uh, using computing and data and uh, quantitative methods to analyze questions of interest uh, in marketing. And, uh, you know, this is uh, for people who are interested in the use of math and economics and science in business. This is uh, an amazing and in an incredible time uh, because I, I think the uh, idea that data and science was a nice to have in business has changed on its head to the idea that this is actually really a must have. And it's no longer a, a thing that the engineers do within the company. It's something that has percolated to the C-level, to the C-suite. And it's uh, the AI strategy and the data strategy of a company is now something that is uh, considered of strategic importance to a company. And uh, people like us uh, have been, uh, had drunk the Kool-Aid long time back and uh, uh, we were looking at marketing um, as a science um, right. more than 20 years back. The founders of our field, the economists, the statisticians, uh, uh, people like yourself, we, we all thought and we saw the, the, the loss in value that was uh, kind of obvious to us in industry because of the lack of adoption of data and formal ways of thinking. But I think it's, a, it's incredible now. We have companies that are actually leading the way for in terms of using experimentation, applied economics, statistics, the tools of formal analysis and thinking and good science to do good marketing like the tech companies, the Amazons, the Googles and the Facebooks of the world. So I am uh, really blown away to be able to be a marketing professor at this time 
especially right. situated here in Silicon Valley. Um, and, uh, you know, um, initially I started working on um, using um, econometric models and statistical models of uh, consumer behavior, trying to understand how consumers buy, buy goods and their respond to prices and whatnot. But, uh, you know, uh, like many people in, uh, in the modern economy and especially people in the Bay Area, I've become very interested in online advertising and, uh, and uh, the infusion and combination of tech and marketing and economics and data together. So uh, most of my recent work has been um, on uh, tech-driven marketing, marketing automation, and uh, at the nexus between online advertising and uh, online pricing. So it's pretty exciting Excellent. and uh, very, very thrilled to be in that area, yeah. Excellent. So you're, you would agree that data and science, our data science is now a very sexy part of our business, right? Uh, as you mentioned, even the C-suite people are looking at data scientists and you yourself uh, wore a different hat for a couple of years doing the same thing in the industry. So it's really fascinating to really hear from you some of your research. So that was a very quick description of your research journey. And you emphasized a lot on the topics that you've been focusing on. Tell us something about some of your recent research. What have you been working on? What are some of the interesting findings or interesting applications? Uh, let us uh, understand what are some of the new things that uh, you're up to. Yeah, thanks. Um... One uh, um, thing I've been really interested in is uh, trying to design online experimentation with online experiments that are self-serve, which uh, by which I mean that they don't require human intervention um, and which actually can be set up as products and which run on tap uh, for measuring the causal effects of online advertising for large platforms uh, such as e-commerce companies or other publishers. That sounds and, fantastic. Is it, uh, is it an outgrowth from your stint at JD.com or is it a uh, separate research topic altogether? Or? Uh, no, actually, it is absolutely an outgrowth of my, uh, of my stint there. Because JD, uh, for those of uh, your viewers who don't know much about JD, it's an e-commerce company based out in China, and it's very much like Amazon. And um, um, as and in fact, it's the second largest e-commerce provider after Alibaba, right? Correct in yeah. in China, correct. And um, um, in the United States, we know now that Amazon has the third largest uh, advertising business in the country after Google and Facebook. And part of the reason um, e-commerce companies uh, um, do so well in online advertising is that search to which against which you can show ads often now begins on Amazon. And in China, a lot of search begins on JD. So you can show search ads against it, which is actually very helpful to consumers. And that's a big business. In addition, uh, there's also a lot of ad inventory on the app, um, on the SKU detail page or whatnot. And that's, so you're a, essentially a publisher. And uh, the third is that if you are um, having third-party merchants on your site and most of your traffic is coming through your app. Um, and uh, in China, 80% of all e-commerce traffic goes through your app. Uh, then if you're not uh, in the first three or four pages of listings, then you essentially get no visitation. And therefore, the third-party vendors on your site, and JD has a lot of vendors, uh, essentially become uh, advertisers. They have to buy advertising in order to get exposure and whatnot. So it makes for a very big business. And uh, going back to your question, uh, Wenki, related to online advertising and online experimentation and whatnot, you know, online exp uh, advertising is really a sophisticated field right now. And when the, in the industry started, the fundamental technological problem was a software issue. How do I figure out a way to deliver ads at scale with low latency or whatnot? I think that problem is reasonably well understood. The next big question was, what is the mechanism by which I would price ads and sell those ads? And uh, uh, we had an incredible revolution of using auctions and uh, generalized second price auctions or whatnot. But I think that thing is also well understood. But now the fundamental question on the table is, um, once it's reached this kind of mature part of the, of the life cycle is, the brands, which are the ones who are spending the money, are asking, tell me what I'm getting out of this. So uh, show me return 
and don't show me yeah. exactly right yeah. and uh, don't just show me that you know people just click on it but show me uh, that it satisfies objectives that matters to the c suite and to the board such as am i building a new brand here a sustainable right. brand etc and um, for that measurement and attribution and things like that are very important and so we have to come out of the old ways in which we tried to do this with small uh, mall intercepts or small surveys so uh, the modern way of doing it is through experimentation but the experiments are very complex to design because the ads are sold through very complex intermediaries and uh, the uh, the ads are sold via auction um, right. and it's impossible for a platform to have a human being sit and run each experiment on a one off basis so they have to be self serve they have to be uh, coded they have to be part of the product and they have to work within the complex auction system so uh, that's where kind of my mind is at so is it basically online experimentation on the fly is that what you're saying real time uh, so it almost sounds like ai driven uh, a kind of uh, experimentation where you said no human beings are involved is that what you're referring to yes uh, i uh, the the part where it's absolutely ai driven experimentation and uh, if you in in a moment i'll explain the ai in that in that the the part where no human being is uh, involved is simply a transaction cost of running experiments because uh, you know uh, in offline it's difficult to run uh, experiments but online we are running hundreds or thousands of experiments hundreds per day thousands per month so it's difficult for a human being to sit and manage but, but uh, are these experiments well designed because we always hear that industry talk about ab test mm-hmm. and that may not be what we researchers call as rcds or randomized controlled design Correct, experiments yes. yes so uh, when you refer to these ai driven online experiments are you referring to ai choosing the rcd or is it some some form of ab test correct or yeah. both yeah it's a really good question that that requires a very complex answer and there's okay. also a short version Sorry. and a long version that's okay uh, uh, maybe but, you can give a simplified version to the viewers yeah, yeah. yeah that's correct uh, so the ab test that venki uh, you were referring to uh, refers to uh, show a new option as a and uh, show the existing option as b and uh, compare something to a test and control group now the ab test as we all know uh, were invented in 1910s uh, uh, or 1920s by r a fisher and he, what he was trying to figure out was on a plot of land should i have one crop here or another crop here or one type of fertilizer here or one kind of fertilizer there right it so turns out this paradigm does not scale well to internet scale data hmm? because in fisher's world it's very hard to change the experimental design because i can't change how, uh, what plot units or what parts of the plot the was, and uh, yeah exactly right. right but in um in an online advertising setting what happens is the data are arriving sequentially hmm? and um, the objective function for the advertiser or the platform is also uh, well specified in the sense that the advertiser is trying to increase his profit his uh, her profit and the platform is has a metric that he wants to op- uh, optimize right so uh, and then it's very easy to change the experimental design for example i can easily change on the fly the amount of traffic flowing into the test group or the control group i don't have to keep it fixed for the duration of the experiment so we need to move away from this old world ab testing paradigm to a sequential experimentation paradigm in which i i kind of start off with some prior reliefs um and i don't know exactly what is the good arm or which which try to treatment and as data arrive i update my beliefs about what are good and then um, i'm am uh, simultaneously balancing exploration and exploitation and the reason i want to maintain some exploration is because i'm still experimenting i'm trying to figure out i'm trying to resolve my uncertainty as to which is best but at the same time i don't have to remain stuck allocating 50% of the traffic to an arm which i kind of learned is much better than what i initially thought at the beginning of the experiment so i got to adapt the experimental design based on uh, the fact that well i can exploit what i learned right mm-hmm. and that exploitation is based on a well post profit function so uh, the entire industry for all practical purposes has uh, mostly shifted to bandits right. uh, as a way of doing um, um online experimentation that balances exploitation and exploration 
and um, um, which are specific cases of reinforcement learning, learning algorithms. Right. That's what I was going to say. Right. What you're describing is the reinforcement learning part of machine learning, which has been around, but which was applied in different contexts. Now you're bringing it to the ad tech or mark tech context. Absolutely, yes. Right? And uh, you mentioned that the entire industry is already moving towards, uh, but this is still a tricky process, right? Because it's also, you talked about scaling. Um, so are there any learnings in here? You know, what are some of the key findings? What works, what doesn't work? Um, which scales, which doesn't scale? Because um, there is still this uh, idea that, uh, you know, I think most of your ideas are taken from the uh, bandit that you mentioned. It's a slot machine uh, examples in uh, gambling casinos where the problem is very similar. Which slot machine should I choose now next to maximize my chances of winning the lottery. Uh, and uh, what are some of the learnings so far on that? I think a number one learning is that um, sequential data right. is here to stay. So we okay. need to, we, we have to adapt experiments to, to the arrival of sequential information. Fair, fair That's enough. one. Another aspect is that high feature sets here to stay. What I mean by that is that the characteristic of an individual mm -hmm. is not captured by a vector of one or two variables like age and gender. It's like, you know, it's usually a hundred thousand uh, um, X variables that capture. So you have to, all of us in academia and industry uh, we'll have to accept the fact that we are dealing with high dimensional data with high dimensional feature sets. So we need to accept that and adopt that and this use methods that scale with that because that's that's how we leverage the value of the data. Um, the third aspect is that uh, we have to, uh, to confront the dichotomy in the literatures while the machine learning literature has used bandits to find the best option we, uh, for actual decision-making, we have to have some un understanding of the uncertainty associated with that decision. I mean, things like hypothesis testing and confidence intervals are not. And for inference. that, we need to do inference. Yeah. But uh, the inference crowd, the statistics community usually has not, has used still in the A-B testing paradigm. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're not as much using adaptive designs and whatnot. And, the, um, uh, and also, the dominant um, uh, uh, criterion for experimental design is reduce variance or reduce the probability of type one error, but actually opportunity cost and uh, an objective function called profit is actually what is very important right. for companies, right? So, so these communities have to work together and uh, uh, you will- somehow, the, somehow they have not been on the same page as what you're saying. Exactly, yeah. And for researchers who work in that intersection, uh, they have to deal with the fact that uh, the languages and uh, and the sociologies, et cetera, of the communities yeah. are different. The so terminology, vocabularies have to jive too. But interestingly, you mentioned this. Uh, one of the worries is that if this becomes more programmatic and in terms of AI-driven decision-making, uh, where all the ads, uh, if you're an advertising executive, yeah, advertiser or a platform executive, you simply should we just leave everything to machine learning and the machine to decide what's optimal? Wouldn't executives want to know the intuition behind some of this, even if, if you're not even talking about causality here? Just understanding uh, why this allocation is better or why this uh, decisions are better, right? Is there some uh, ways in which we can learn something on that? Yeah, no, it's a very... Uh very important question, Venki, and actually I would say for uh, building good data-driven organizations, that is actually the key leadership question. Uh, I would say that um, it's um, actually a really bad idea to uh, leave marketing to the algorithm or strategic yeah. decision-making to the algorithm. That would be uh, disastrous. So where's the role of, where's the role of marketers here? We also yeah. know about the bias of the algorithms too. So that's Correct. another yes. issue which I'm not touched right. upon. Yeah. No, no, you're right. At the same time, it would also be a mistake uh, to have leadership that is not aware of the power of algorithms or the value of data. Uh, and, and so I think it's really important that uh, there is a good interplay between both of those. 
Um, I think that for certain kinds of decisions that are high frequency auction level, it does not make sense for it to be uh, non um, and done with human beings and non done algorithmically. And a standard example would be how to bid. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know there are you participate in millions of auctions for different impressions, and you want to use algorithms for deciding how to bid. Right. right. And that is a task uh, that uh, should be or probably is but best isn't done. Isn't that going on already with, you know, for example, search uh, advertising? People right. just, you know, bid. Uh, they're, they're all small, small bids. So they don't really uh, worry too much about losing on those or making suboptimal decisions. But what happens when you do large programmatic spend expenditures on these platforms as an advertiser? Where is the role of the executive and is there some high level role or is there some monitoring role? Is there some uh, reality checks? What, is, what should be the role of the executive? Right, yeah, so that, that's, that, that's the key question. And I think the, the role of the executive here is uh, to decide two things. Uh, one is uh, what, what, what's the goal of the campaign? What exactly is the campaign trying to do? How mm -hmm. does that campaign help the strategic goals of the company? Is this campaign going to help uh, uh, build a brand in a particular fashion? How much uh, uh, resources should I want to allocate to it? How does that uh, uh, relate to the internal capabilities uh, uh, of the company? And also um, deciding that, okay, here's the target segment that I want to calculate. And these are the products to which it, uh, it applies to. All of these are important aspects of marketing strategy. So the strategic uh, elements like uh, audience, who's the audience, what is the content, what is the uh, differentiation, all those things should still be on the, part, on the hands of the executive. I the think question it, about spend, mm -hmm. overall spend and allocation, what should be the role of the executive? Right. Um, I, I think the, the, there are a few uh, ways of thinking about it. I don't know whether uh, one is dominant to the exclusion of the of other. The other. Mm -hmm. okay. I, I think it's really, um, uh, I think for algorithmic uh, 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 and data-driven decision-making to thrive, uh, first, the, um, the executive has to decide to give up control over certain aspects of the process and retain control over certain aspects of the process. What you give up and what you, uh, what you don't is actually a strategic decision that requires uh, a thoughtful decision-making. The second aspect is that who to hire and what kind of personnel and human right. capital to bring into bear on that, it's a strategic decision. One of the most important things is to how to build your team in order to do that, right? And what vendors and tools you use. That's a strategic decision. Okay, tell us something about that decision because many of the viewers are students, entrepreneurs, former students. They're all either trying to learn these new skills or even migrating their skill set to that. So what do you think, you worked at JD.com, what are some of the skills that are being in, uh, sought after for these kinds of positions or these kinds of tasks? Um, just to clarify your question, Wenki, a little bit, do you mean skills for data scientists or for executives that are managing data science Both, teams? Yeah. yeah. You can you can say both, yeah. Uh, you know, since we are all uh, invested in our MBA programs, let me start with the, with the managerial part. Okay. Uh, I think it's, you know, there are a couple of things here. Okay. Uh, one of the things is that unlike offline industries, uh, which are data poor, typically, broadly speaking. Internet scale companies are very data rich. And there's a lot of high frequency information about the user. And that requires actually a mindset change for the typical manager or leadership in the sense that you look in an offline situation, um, a lot of leadership is, is about making the right decision in the absence of a lot of information. So right. your gut feel, your intuition and your experience comes in. And you want to make that call, right? But I think in that kind of decision-making style may not scale well to an internet because uh, the, that's a top-down style. But in, in, in a very uh, internet scale business, a lot of information is coming up from the bottom. Right. And I think the role of the leadership is to take that information and a lot of decision-making has to be bottom-up. 
and to analyze that correctly and use that information correctly and then make a decision that uh, as to who will manage that what of the five different ideas that are coming up from the bottom um, will i listen to how can i listen to all of them um, and that requires giving up a lot of control trusting the data people at the bottom know the data more than you uh, and so it requires a little bit of giving up of control and you become more of a coach rather than a commander so so i think that's very high level um, just from the mindset part on the skill part for mba students i think it's um, uh, you probably don't need to understand the nitty gritty details of algorithms but you still need to have an understanding of the market institutions um the just like saying if you went into finance you 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 can't be uh, successful on wall street unless you understand the institutions of wall street kind of them, right mm-hmm. and uh, online advertising is a complex market mm-hmm. right. uh, you have to understand uh, the dsps and the ssps right. and the ad exchanges and what's going on there so i think having good institutional knowledge is very key to make right decisions uh, you have to understand the value and the disadvantages and the advantages of algorithms right um uh, you have to respect science because an amazing scientist uh can do amazing things right. and uh, you have to respect code right. good code is uh, important because right. computing uh, pervades everything uh, so i think that uh, a building of awareness is very very important. good yeah this is excellent okay uh, for the data scientists uh this is a little simpler um i guess everything that we do in our phd program and more is relevant right the economics is relevant the statistics is relevant and the coding is relevant the data is relevant right. the good uh, good uh, Co- coding computer science yeah um, machine learning uh, formal training in in uh, in understanding um methods to science is important good understanding of how to design experiments uh, it's all relevant it's hard i think for one person to do all everything Yeah. so i think it may be good to specialize also in one or two things otherwise the sea of knowledge is too vast to swim in that's excellent but <laughs> so far you've been talking about advertising mainly communication but when you do talk about these big companies platform companies like jerry uh, alibaba amazon um, google even in the advertising space uh, some of these also have are function as marketplaces like definitely right. amazon or so there's a lot of uh, you know retail involved in that if you were right. to so uh, in what sense are these complementary should people just focus mainly on advertising or should they also look at you know you mentioned one of your research areas is pricing yeah uh, and what products to sell which platforms in what form how much to advertise that also becomes an uh, huge decision area for marketing executives and the c level executives too right so Correct. tell us something about it i'm sure you have a lot of experience and both you your research and your industry experience share something that uh we'd all like to walk away with yeah um i, I think it's a complex uh, situation and and um, from I, i i will speak about it from the perspective of three different constituents one is the scientist and the academic like us right and the others for the brands and the third is for the platform i mean for the scientists and for the academic um you know there are incredible opportunities and problems to solve um in uh, all in a variety of areas other than just um just um, uh, advertising uh, for example pricing is actually a very tricky topic um and uh, i think my fundamental um, um learning from pricing is that i think there's just a little bit too many silos in pricing um for example uh, uh we have the strange situation in many uh business school departments where operations research um uh, professors often work on the inventory side of the problem while marketing people like us we work Demand on the side. consumer side yeah. of the problem and then the economists work on the auction design problem Right. but in a real company when you have to when you just sat down with the teams you can't sell something unless it's there in the warehouse so you just cannot set the price without accounting for the inventory 
and then the uh, and the mechanism by which you sell there are myriad different ways of selling the mechanism so i think it'll be good for all of us to be way more interdisciplinary uh, uh, on this topic on this, that's an excellent point uh, unfortunately we are on your, what you're saying is we are silos in our research and we need to be more uh, together i couldn't agree with you shift a little bit into some of your recent research papers the findings uh, of especially in some of the experiments so some of the papers that caught my attention was some of the very fascinating experiments you've done with uh, uh, you know your colleagues one of them is advertising serves as just a signal even if you mention that it's sponsored advertising it still has an effect tell us right. something about that because that's right. a very interesting finding for a lot of people because generally the perception is that most of the advertising is intrusive especially digital you know people want to click away from advertising and if they see sponsorship the, the feeling is that's people are definitely going to discount it or not even pay attention but your findings suggest something opposite tell me tell yeah, that's correct yeah yeah just to react to that uh, i think um, it is it is certainly true that a lot of advertising seeps into our consciousness by interruption and when they interrupt the fact that i'm watching a, um, a, a tv serial or i'm reading the news the fact that that advertising comes in between is annoying mm -hmm. uh and therefore advertising can be annoying especially when it's not um well designed and it's intrusive, and it's intrusive. Right. and uh, so um the uh, the general um uh, idea is that advertising can be an annoying and it's kind of like a cost to humankind and i feel that the story has been oversold and it it lacks nuance mm -hmm. and uh, i think the dominant narrative that advertising is a bad um it, it is just a false narrative mm -hmm. um uh, in particular when we come to search advertising which is the dominant form of online advertising um i should just simply think of advertising as one form of information it's just informing about me about the various options and if you look at surveys in search is where people find advertising the least annoying compared to display or whatnot because it's and directed by the consumer is that why uh they find directed it less by the consumer and the oh. consumer's purpose in uh, running a search on a restaurant search engine is to find a bunch Get of options that are helpful for you and uh, advert um, you know uh, out of 10 possible options all of all of them are relevant to the to the search query it so turns out that three are paid for so what mm -hmm. uh, they they are still useful right so it's not interrupting it's consistent with the goal of the search right now the the question there are two big questions here is it really true that in equilibrium the the guys the advertisers who are advertising uh turns out to be advertisers who are generally better than than the ones that are not advertising well that's an empirical question um it's possible that the market incentives are such that uh, only the bad restaurants advertise for example and right. then consumers should uh, have uh, serious distrust yeah. yeah or it's possible that you know what um, the old story goes which is the signaling story that um, uh, if a bad restaurant advertises the consumer would go there and then never come back right, right. Mm -hmm. is it and therefore um, the restaurants that know that they're pretty good but don't have enough awareness in the population have an incentive to advertise and if that's kind of true it's possible that um, there'll be a separating on, equilibrium and they'll signal uh, yeah so it, it's worth testing okay and uh, uh, there are circumstances and it's uh, uh, that um, uh, one uh, that equilibrium obtains and one in the paper we outline an experimental design uh, that that's just that this equilibrium has obtained in a particular uh, restaurant search and, information platform yeah and related to that you also ran some nice uh, facebook uh, experiments on facebook where you, uh, if I remember correctly, you tested the effect of social media messages content on uh, on engagement, and you found some differences on the type of uh, message content, whether it's brand personality related or price related. And there's some other additional nuances. Could yes. you please uh, let us know the highlights and also unpack those highlights? Correct, yeah. Uh, by the way, um, I, I would be seriously remiss if I did not mention my co-authors there. The the stuff with uh, signaling was with my Nabib, right? my incredible colleague uh, Nabdeep Sahni, and right. this work on Facebook is with Doc and Lee and with uh, Karthik Hosnagar. Right. So I'm just one cog in the machine. Okay. <laughs> no, you're incredibly modest, but <laughs> yeah. love to hear from you. 
Yeah, so the uh, the Facebook uh, stuff um, uh, was actually not an experiment, though we had some quasi-experimental variation. But what we were trying to figure out is what kind of content actually gets some play in terms of engagement from Facebook users, such as uh, getting likes and clicks and comments and shares and whatnot. And uh, the, surprisingly, though, there is not as as good a good theory of ad content in economics and in academia. Uh, we have casual evidence that some kind of content matters. And the best evidence come from the applied psychology literature, which we should be proud of in our field. And um, uh, my colleague, Jennifer Acker, has done interesting research that, that showed that, um, that when consumers want to establish a relationship with a brand, which uh, uh, is, has some similarities to how we establish a relationship with another human being, and to the extent that we can relate well to the personality of a brand, uh, we might actually um, uh, be more willing to engage with the content from that brand. And uh, that's very different from kind of functional content attributes, such as like giving me the price or telling me that there is a deal. Um, uh, please go click on it and get the deal. Otherwise, it'll expire in three days. Uh, that's more like you know, um, a search attribute. The other one is more... Uh, behavioral or personality content. And uh, we used um, uh, some uh, text analysis and, uh, and image recognition algorithms to, to, um, yeah, to encode content of Facebook posts. And we essentially found that the brand personality content is actually very important mm -hmm. yeah. to getting a lot of engagement. And it's a bit funny, um, you would have a brand uh, uh, such as Nike, uh, that would send you, Wenki, a, a message if you were connected to that brand saying, uh, this is a great day, awesome day for running, have fun. And it's, it's, uh, it's how it resonates with the consumer in terms of exactly. engagement. And, but the bulk of a lot of posts is like that. And the, the point of the paper was to kind of uh, uh, articulate that this kind of content is actually quite valuable. Okay, this is a standard dilemma now with retailing uh, at least brick, brick and mortar retailing in doldrums because of COVID and a lot of retailers are shifting online. We see a lot of digital transformation, not just in retailing and all businesses. More and more uh, businesses are directly uh, connecting and uh, communicating with the consumers, either through social media or even personally, you know, through apps, as you mentioned, through maybe just text messages. Uh, more and more retailers today are <laughs> doing the uh, order online pickup and all the conversations are going on. So one implication of your finding is that even the, those exchanges, if it is not deal-oriented, uh, if the retailers could really build a little bit of some of the brand saying, hey, today is a hot day, uh, you know, you could come and uh, order and then pick up curbside uh, your favorite uh, beverage, right, whatever even that would be uh, considered some kind of a personality or some kind of emotion-related content as opposed to simply deal and price, right? Correct. Would that apply in that situation? I think, I think so. Uh, okay. I think, uh, and just to uh, react to that and, uh, and allow you a comment, uh, there are, just to unpack that on, on three different dimensions. Uh, the first thing is that, um, you know, the... the the scary thing for many brands now is that uh, there was always a retailer that was mediating the relationship with the consumer. But now there's a retailer called Amazon, which is incredibly <laughs> sophisticated. Yeah. And so it's become very important to build a direct relationship with, with the user, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so, other, other, so that the relationship is not mediated by a, a, a tech platform, right? So, um, but then the goal of a, a, a relationship is not just to get a person to buy on sale, but the goal is to build a brand and build associations that are sustainable. And the point of the paper is that you can't build those associations by telling you, hey, here's 20% off, buy today. Right. Associations have to be built through engagement. Right. And you need to find a way to generate engagement. So these brand personality related messages can uh, provide a lot of engagement and so sustaining, yeah. One of the outcomes, you know, tell me if it's consistent with your finding, which is a lot of uh, firms are trying that for a long time, but it's very crowded out there. So, you know, if I'm a General Mills or Kraft or Coke or 
any other consumer or in apparel, how do I create an engagement in a world in which the consumer is bombarded, a shopper is bombarded with lots of messages? And they are always finding some creative. So one of the platforms that are very uh, catchy among at least the Gen Zs and millennials is TikTok, right? Mm. So they are trying to find some nice ways. So you would say that in, if a brand has to really connect with, directly with the consumer and not be dependent on the intermediary, then it's better for the brand to not just uh, not offer those deals, as you said, but also come in creative ways to engage with them, maybe humor, maybe uh, uh, other kinds of emotions. Yes. Um, but is there, there, those kind of activities works. That's what you find, right? Previously, people used to say that, you know, with deals, if I give deal, I can know that person has purchased or not. I can track the attribution, which you referred to right in the early part of the uh, conversation. Uh, how do firms really, you know, get some attribution to this? That would yeah. be a tough question for them. Attri attribution is a, is a complex one. Um, uh, you know, in uh, since you mentioned uh, TikTok, uh, when I was at JD, we built, um, so uh, ByteDance, which owns Daoyin in, right. in China uh, and, and Daotiao. Uh, so Daoyin is the, is the Chinese equivalent of TikTok. So uh, is a partner of JD and uh, we built uh, some, um, some experimentation solutions in collaboration with Daoyin. So I think for attribution, uh, it's actually key. Uh, two things have to come in, some efficient ways of tracking, which means some pixel has to be dropped onto the engagement uh, um, uh, mode. And then you have to be able to track the action, for example, purchase or whatnot, which for JD is actually easier because, you know, if you click on an ad, you actually, it triggers the JD app and then your purchases can be, uh, you can close the loop on purchases, okay. yeah. But the United States, the tracking problem is split across very many um, uh, companies. So that's one complex issue mm -hmm. and cookie tracking doesn't work well, et cetera. Uh, the other one about attribution is, I mean, there's no solution. So what we would do is to build an um, online experimentation system. Um, sometimes we would show the ad and push it to TikTok, uh, sorry, down in. Uh, and then sometimes we would just hold that back. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then we'll compare um, um, outcomes for users uh, who, uh, so in the formal language, to use some formal language, uh, hopefully your viewers are aware, it would be like intent to treat effect as opposed to a treatment effect. Right. But uh, intent to treat is uh, quite reasonable. Uh, but you know the attribution is, is complex. It's a, uh, that's why in the beginning of the conversation, um, uh, we both agreed uh, that this is one of the most important issue, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so also with TikTok, just to, uh, uh, to mention one thing, you've got to be a bit careful um, because we, we have seen and, um, that the, the context matters quite a bit for how users engage and infer the, the, the efficacy of the brand and the message. And uh, in, in TikTok, not all context can be actually amenable to the, the positioning of the brand. Some of the content can be a little racy. Um, so uh, brand safety is Very actually an point, important yeah. point uh, thing that uh, everybody has to worry about. And that has to be done algorithmically or in some fashion. Yeah. Right. And you know about all these issues, with, even in YouTube, right? Lots yeah. of brands inadvertently get uh, associated with, with the wrong um, or undesirable uh, elements or content. Uh, so it's been fascinating talking to you so far. And I don't want to really go dive deeper and deeper because without exploring your other parts of your personality, which is um, what does Hurricane do for fun? <laughs> Right. Uh, this looks like very. This looks like fun for you, but uh, there's also there must be other things that you do for it's extra true. fun. Right? Is that a, is that a, a question for the COVID time or the non-COVID? Uh, no COVID, non-COVID, anything. Yeah, I think um, uh, um, I like jogging. Uh, so go for runs on uh, Stanford campus uh, every week. Um, now, you do the I'm, dish run there, or not? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the the, the dish is very popular. Um, right. I, I do do the dish, um, though uh, recently uh, it has become more and more challenging with COVID. Right. right. Uh, we go for bike rides often with my seven-year-old daughter. So that's uh, um, that's an incredible source of fun. Uh, we go for uh, ski trips uh, every once in a while during the winter. That's been fun, um, uh, though this year it's been a little challenging with COVID. 
Right. We do a fair amount of traveling, my wife, my daughter, and I. Um, and I think one of the nice things about academia is that we get to travel quite a bit. Quite a bit. As part now, of now again, well. COVID times, it's all yes. curtailed. Yes, uh, I do watch a lot of TV, uh, a little bit extra, more than I ought to, yeah. So uh, <laughs> what are some of the uh, books that you read? You didn't mention books. I'm sure you read a lot of books. What are some of the recent books you've read and what would you recommend to some of the viewers? Yeah, you know, my all-time favorite fiction is uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, I, I definitely recommend that uh, to go back and hit the original, <laughs> uh, as well as the Silmarillion and uh, the other um, um, books by Tolkien, which have a lot of uh, context for that. But uh, unfortunately, uh, work is all-consuming, and I've had not right. much time not to time. read fiction uh, recently. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, I understand. You can't do that as well as watch a lot of it's TV true. shows and programs, yeah. right? And and since you do a lot of work on advertising, so you could justify and say that, hey, this is I'm just watching these shows for research, right? <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> I'm sure you don't need that excuse. Uh, but uh, you know, let me just uh, uh, again switch tracks and ask for your crystal ball or some kind of advice for you. What? Where do you see? this whole world of marketing, marketing tech, ad tech, uh, evolving in the next five to 10 years. And where do you see this playing out maybe 10 years from now? Yeah, this is a tricky business <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, uh, none of us are good at, uh, at these predictions. And if we were actually good, we could actually trade on it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and make it, yeah. Uh, I guess like well, one thing, we we all should be sensitive to is that as a marketing academic community uh, as well as big tech and others uh, i think we have been a little bit too casual with data and um the way in which we utilize the data and i think we uh, we all agree that the efficiency gains are huge mm-hmm. and that the welfare positive welfare effects for consumers in terms of lower prices and better options being made available to them and the reduction in the search costs associated with improved targeting or whatnot has been incredible mm-hmm. but i think we just as a community we just need to um to take a, a deeper yeah. yeah a deeper look at a, a formal model for how do you think about privacy it's a it's no longer an ignorable thing now. Uh, and uh, so I think marketing academics should think about it more. Uh, so I think privacy, I think the, uh, the extreme that you cannot use any data uh, is also not good for society. It's not good for consumers. Uh, and so I think um, it'll, I, I personally hope, I'm not saying it will happen because I don't know. I'm hoping that there will be a new kind of privacy uh, conscious marketing uh, econometrics and the privacy conscious statistics and a privacy uh, preserving ad tech that comes into play and the, all the leading platforms are in that game uh, we see uh, things like differential privacy and things like that which are used algorithmically to to uh, to do this so uh, and then blockchain can be used actually quite a bit uh, uh, to uh, to do to ensure privacy uh... Correct. So I think that will be a big one uh, over a five to ten year horizon. It's completely right. non-ignorable, and it's gonna that is going to um, get infused into pretty much everything. Um, and then another aspect is that you know we cannot stay divorced from what's happening in industry. And I think um, it is fair game to say that in at least in this country, there will be some changes to the big five um, tech companies. But will it be a breakup? Who knows? Will it be some kind of divestiture? Uh, would it be some kind of restrictions on Amazon and Google and Facebook? And that in turn will affect the industry dynamics uh, quite a bit. Um, the, there is a, a feeling that the duopoly power of Google and Facebook is quite high. Um, um, so you know that, that, that can have consequences for tracking and things like that. And I think uh, the research will be affected by that. The industry will be affected by that. Um, I, I think the the idea that you know science, formal science, 
will go away or that data or computing is kind of like a fad or something it's just crazy it's just not going to go away at all okay so it's going to become anything, even it'll more be, it'll be enhanced right uh, it'll be enhanced in a privacy preserving manner okay that's a very nice uh, prediction I'm which means it's... more math not less math right that's yeah. <laughs> uh, that's fabulous so on that note what would be your some last words of wisdom for many of our viewers which would include uh, former students entrepreneurs uh executives and current students um undergraduate and graduate uh i, I mean I to just name a few constituencies yeah i think yeah. it's uh, really we are in the in the time of human capital so yeah. we have to build our human capital um quite a bit which means we have to learn and acquire knowledge and we have to be humble uh there's just so much out there and um in order to run a business so would you say continuous learning is continuous learning yeah there is yeah. absolutely and not just for the for the students and the uh, and the entrepreneurs also for the professors right so it's a continuous learning paradigm and there's a fear that uh people feel that your know, shelf life uh is you know half life of your learning is also coming down so uh is that a fair fear a fair prediction or there are some fundamental building blocks that will always uh be uh uh helpful no matter where you are well experimentation was invented in in 1920 right. it's not going away right uh the demand and supply is not going away yeah. Time, yeah but we are in a data rich world with right. uh, um, lots of adaptivity so we have to adapt to that but i don't know will the fundamental themes that we have all um uh, aware of are are changing are going to change uh, yeah yeah so but we that's still need to know. that's yeah. <laughs> that's very reassuring because many times we know a lot of people say hey the pace at which we have to learn seems to be incredibly fast and we are worried that can we keep up with this right which is also a valid fear but yes, i'm true. glad to hear the reassuring words this is fact covered a lot of grounds you covered your industry experience your research insights you've shared it beautifully and you've also uh, given some projections of the future and some words of wisdom for the viewers and thank you so much for your time and um i wish you great uh luck going forward in your research or whatever next gig you're going to do you might be going back to industry or doing both whatever you choose to do wish you all the best Yeah, thank you Wendy it was a pleasure and uh, thanks for hosting it and good luck on the on the center as well thank you so much